0: Welcome to Strategy International, a podcast produced by PodMTL that brings you insightful conversations with experts from all over the world on topics related to international relations and policy, security, defense, environment, and much more. And now, your host, George Santrizos.
1: Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Strategy International Podcast. As you may already know, this is the podcast produced for Strategy International, a global think tank with numerous experts uh, that uh, share knowledge and advice on a variety of topics, including uh, foreign affairs, international policy, security, defense, uh, economy, the environment, and much, much, much more. Uh, you can head on over to www.strategyinternational.org for more information or to read numerous publications and uh, opinion editorials. Speaking of experts, we have an amazing guest again uh, today with us, Dr. Nir Bombs, coming all the way from Israel. How are you?
0: Very good. Good to be with you, George.
1: It's so exciting to meet with you uh, and to talk with you. Um, we're going to have a discussion on quite possibly an area that very few people understand, uh, and that has been uh, the subject of so much conflict uh, in the world. And I would even go as far as to say misunderstanding. I mean, uh, uh, that's pretty much usually the cause of any any conflict. But specifically in the in in the area, we're going to talk about the Middle East. We're going to talk about the recent um, agreements, uh, the Abraham Accords, that seem to have maybe paved the way forward. Uh, We're going to talk about all of that. And I'm excited because uh, like myself, I'm sure there are many out there that would love to get that knowledge in that specific area. There are so many moving elements um, in that sector, and you are truly an expert on the matter. So I appreciate the time that you're taking to share that knowledge with our uh, listeners and our viewers. The uh, first before we get uh, before we get to, to to that topic, let me just introduce you formally to uh, to our listeners and their viewers. You are a research fellow at the Moshe Dayan Center at the University of Tel Aviv. You have uh, many publications. You are an analyst uh, on TV, on many newspapers as well. Um, tell me a little bit just on a personal note. How did you move into this? Uh, into this uh, area of interest?
0: Well, I think for over half of my life, if not more uh, at this point, um, I'm trying to build bridges uh, between Jews and Muslims and Israelis and Arabs. This has been a passion of mine. I grew up in Haifa, a city in the north, uh, uh, northern part of Israel, a city that is a little more known for its shared society and a different degree of, uh, of coexistence um, and so you you grew up in a more diverse uh, environment and you know later on you know coming of age understanding that there uh, there's a conflict around us i thought well can i do something about it uh, i began to be uh, to get involved in, in various uh, groups and projects dealing with israeli uh, arab and palestinian dialogue um, when I went to the states uh, a few years later, uh, I did two masters in the states, and, and I had the uh, uh, the opportunity to work for our embassy, Israeli embassy in Washington DC, and later on for a think tank, an ample opportunity to meet uh, people from many countries uh, that otherwise I would uh, not be privy to meet, uh, and uh, that created uh, very interesting encounters that eventually uh, helped me pave the way. I was. Uh, My PhD had to do with uh, the Syrian opposition, and I have met a number of Syrians in Washington later that enabled me to get very much involved in the Israeli humanitarian work uh, in Syria that uh, took place uh, since 2013 in the height of the Syrian war, Um, and I began to be uh, more and more involved. Uh, not just in dialogues, but in actual work with our neighbors. Some some of it was life-saving work. Uh, Some of it was thinking about what we can do together to uh, build uh, bridges. Um, And of course, uh, some of it also had to do with the Abraham Accords, uh, which I think is a very important uh, uh, mark uh, uh, and a point of achievement for a lot of this work, uh, and certainly something that uh, had uh, changed and is changing the landscape of the Middle East. I want
1: to ask you just out of curiosity, because, I mean, it must be uh, frustrating to um, to live and to grow up in an area where as you grow older and you develop this interest in, in in what you did to realize that you're, you know, around you, there aren't that many other countries that have stable democracies or no democracies at all. You are kind of floating by yourselves um in that region with the exception of maybe one or two countries that you know can't really say that they have anything close to stable um uh, state of the democracy it 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 can be easy to be navigating in these waters almost exclusively alone
0: Uh, well it's not and and israel had a hard time uh, doing this for many years but i don't think that had to do with the fact that it was or it is a democracy uh, it had to do with the fact that we have uh, uh, an ongoing conflict that has a political identity and religious dimensions uh, that have uh, you know, uh, created it and, and, and maintained it until, until now. I would say, you know, if you're already speaking about democracy, then actually uh, in this particular time that we're speaking, democracy overall is in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in my country, we've had... Uh, Three years and five election systems. We might now finally have a government. We have not had a functioning government, uh, really, in in the last three years. Uh, and uh, if I'm looking around in Europe and the United States, uh, I see that democracy actually really suffers. It has a hard time navigating. People are more polarized than ever. Uh, we've seen internal conflicts uh, that sometimes, uh, you know, bring a lot of the attention inwards while we are now forgetting that there's all those external conflicts and threats to the planet that we need to deal with. Uh, And in the same token, now when we have, when you speak about uh, some of the Arab countries that surrounds us and certainly when we speak about the Gulf, which is one of the few areas that was able to actually maintain and keep stability uh, for over five uh, decades uh, and, and in where the Arab spring, you know, what (laughs) began, you know, in 2010 and, uh, you know, in Gulf, many of the countries surrounding us and also turned uh, uh, the old order mainly into a disorder. So we see an area that is actually able to keep itself, to hold itself together. It's not democratic, uh, but it brings a very interesting uh, model that uh, perhaps uh, is a key uh, to the future of uh, of the Middle East. Um, and one of the things that I can say is that I have learned to uh, appreciate uh, more other models and, and other ways to deal uh, uh, with the challenges that we face. Um, And at this this particular point in time, uh, it's not democracy that is the most important thing. I think there are other things that has to do with uh, the the essentials, uh, uh, principles and values, essential rights, uh, of course, um, but with a certain path uh, that uh, enables countries to to find uh, together a a road to, to stability, to peace, Um, And that's really a big part of what the Abraham Accords are about.
1: Let's talk a little bit. uh, Actually, mostly we're going to talk about the Abraham Accords. Um, Tell everyone a little bit what it is. Um, Why was it necessary for its conception?
0: Well, the Abraham Accords were signed in September of 2020. um, And and they were known now as a a pact of agreement between four uh, countries Uh, Israel, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and and later uh, Sudan, um, and Morocco. Uh, And they were named the Abraham Accords uh, in order to the symbolic legacy. You know, we are all uh, here, Jews and Arabs, and actually, you know, all of us in many ways are the children of Abraham. And perhaps there is a way uh, to go back in time and recreate that alliance uh, and, and perhaps a uh, degree of friendship that existed in one generation and have not passed to the next generation. Uh, and the Arab Accords is it, it's uh, agreements about normalization. It's, it's not legally, it's not uh, it's, it's an agreement between countries. Um, the, the agreements themselves actually vary from one country in another, but since the agreements were signed, uh, there were hundreds of additional agreements that uh, uh, were were codified in different areas, uh, trade, economy, labor, education, um, etc. And much had happened uh, that have uh, really uh, uh, upgraded the relationships between all the countries involved, not just between Israel and, and the surrounding countries, but really, you know, throughout uh, the region at large. Um, it uh, there were specific circumstances that enabled the Abraham records to uh to happened um and they had to do uh with the annexation plan that existed here on the one hand uh, uh at the uh middle of the of 2020 and there were plenty of concerns about this they had to do with the elections in the united states and the realization that some movement and traction uh, uh may be able to be achieved before the administration is uh, changing um before is, the There will be looming elections uh, in uh, Israel uh, as well. So there were a number of circumstances that have uh, helped this agreement to have happened, but really uh, much of it happened because it was right. It was the right moment. It could have happened perhaps a little earlier or a little later, Uh, but the relationship between these countries began to develop and there was also an understanding that we need to move the Middle East forward. We need to together find a path to deal some of the very existential problems that we have um, with issues like water, environment, global warming, uh, of course, stability and radicalization, and that we need to find uh, ways to bring countries together and work together uh, to get there. And we cannot uh, leave ourselves, uh, you know, hanging uh, even just because there is an unresolved Israeli-Palestinian conflict, not move away not move forward and begin to deal with some of the other issues and many countries uh, or players began to to understand that and realize that that's maybe a good moment um, the Americans have uh, created the mechanism that have, uh, have bolstered this sort of win-win formula uh, which uh, created the moment but since then really uh, it's uh, the countries began to uh, implement uh, the uh, bilateral and trilateral uh and you know, agreements uh, in in different ways. And we've seen a a fair degree of uh, progress
1: so far. Uh, It's interesting that you're mentioning the the progress because I was going to ask what has it shown concretely um, and what does it mean for the region? I mean, you have mentioned that there have been agreements on certain important sectors, uh, culture, defense, um, uh, security. Um, What does this mean down the line for the region?
0: Look, the agreement is uh, two and a third years old. Uh, So uh, we are only beginning to see the beginning of it, the end of the beginning. Um, But in terms of the balance of trade, uh, we have seen significant progress. uh, Or there's there's an estimation that just between Israel and the UAE, uh, the the, the balance of trade will uh, go beyond the the $2 billion mark, which is... uh, um, a very significant, uh, you know, increase. There were over 140, I think, agreements that were signed. And these are then can be small things um, from different, uh, you know, exchanges uh, all, all the way into creating uh, larger projects, like uh, a project that was now between Israel, the, the UAE and Jordan and the Palestinians that deals with the creation of uh, energy, solar energy, water uh, in in creating a win-win formula that this partnership uh, hopefully will uh, continue to bring. When we begin to see students um, coming in, uh, some degree of exchange, not as much as we would have liked to see, but we're beginning to see that. um, Certainly in particular areas, desert tech, agri-tech, um, innovation, business, these are the areas uh, that are very much uh, needed um, and also other types of cooperation. Of course, as you mentioned, government to government level uh, security uh, uh, matters uh, on the one hand, and we have uh, common threats uh, and, and, and common uh, and challenges um, and the agreements have helped uh, uh, Bolster that uh, gradually uh, the Americans and the Europeans are also, you know, coming through uh, being uh, the the, the third part of the trilaterals uh, and and they're able to also play their role with the hope that this dynamic will uh, expand with the hope that the idea that you can actually uh, deal with conflicts um, with negotiations and with uh, collaborations uh, will be able to, to move further within the region. We just had a, a very interesting, uh, positive result of American mediation: an agreement between Israel and Lebanon. That's not Abraham Accords, but this is a maritime border, um, and again, a, a dispute uh, that, that that lasted many years resulted with an agreement. Again, this is not peace between uh, Israel and Lebanon; certainly not yet, far away from there yet, but still, perhaps one small step, um, and hopefully. Uh, what the Abraham Accords will help bring is the idea that we can actually move forward and sort issues and disputes uh, using uh, agreements and, and using normalization and show that the partnership can actually bring value for the people who live here
1: All Right, there are uh there have been countries that have held reservations about uh joining this uh um, this agreement or this pact, if you will, um, certain other countries in the Gulf area where they tend to uh, follow more the, um, the pre-existing Arab Peace Initiative. What is the difference between the two and why do these countries uh, hold so dearly to that uh, initiative rather than the Abraham Accords? Well, the
0: Arab Peace Initiative uh, was launched in in. 2002, uh, calls for a comprehensive uh, peace agreement in the Middle East and a resolution as to the Palestinian question. The initiative is short, and it actually leaves a, a lot of space for interpretations. Um, but the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and Israeli-Palestinian negotiations overall have been stuck, and Palestinian-Arab relations um, have been tricky, especially since Hamas uh, took uh, over Gaza. We have to understand that uh, for uh, the majority of the golf players, Qatar excluded, Uh, but it's certainly true for the Saudis who launched the Saudi peace initiative. Uh, Hamas is a a part and parcel of the Muslim Brotherhood is a bit of a red flag. Um, For them, uh, uh, this radical uh, uh, interpretation and a very Islamist interpretation um, of uh, politics and of the struggle against Israel is not a way to bring win-win formulas to the Middle East, or not necessarily a win-win uh, in the context of the Arab Peace Initiative. Um, so that, in some ways, what enabled the Abraham Accords. And I would say that if the Saudis, who have not been a part of it, would have really, you know, gone full swing against it and said, no, we cannot, we have the formulation of the Arab Peace Initiative, we cannot move away with the Abraham Accords, there's a very good chance that uh, the Abraham Accords would not have been the same. Certainly, when we speak about a country like Bahrain, that very much follows uh, uh, Saudi uh, uh, politics and the um, and, and Saudi alliance. Uh, and it also seems that, you know, Israel's relation with the Saudis are actually uh, different and much better in the context of the Abraham Accords process. We've seen a lot of progress over there. Uh, but still, the big issue of the, the big difference has to do with the Palestinian question. Mm-hmm. There are two broadly held views in the West and sort of in the Arab world as well. One is that the Israeli-Palestinian question or the Palestinian question is the key of sorting out the Middle East. Therefore, we need to sort the Israeli-Palestinian question and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and then everything will find its place. Um, And the Abraham Accords actually symbolizes a different school of thought. They say, "You look, we may not be able to move uh, to the resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian questions, uh, we need to try, and hopefully the Abraham Accords will actually help do that. But we cannot wait and and keep ourselves, our agendas, and the entire Middle East hostage just because we are not able to sort this particular conflict. Let's figure out how we can sort other things and move with other agendas, with the hope that perhaps that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict will follow suit. Some countries uh, had have more loyalties uh, for uh, you know the, this prison that calls for a resolution for the Israeli-Palestinian issue. They uh, reject public opinion to some degree, reject uh, this notion that uh, uh, normalization and recognition in Israel takes away from the Palestinian position and the Arab world needs to stand firmly behind the Palestinians in the struggle against Israel. And uh, alternative school of thought and the school of thought that is very much represented within the framework of the Abraham Accords is that, look, We have some serious challenges, as we've articulated them before. We need to move forward. Um, It's great to move with the Palestinians, but if the Palestinians are not ready to move, uh, we need to start somewhere, and hopefully they will follow suit.
1: Is this kind of like a chicken and the egg scenario where there isn't any end in sight, where, like you said, on one hand... um, you have this issue between uh, Israel and Palestine and it needs to be taken care of first in order for everything else to move forward. And the second option would be to take care of everything else that can potentially influence that one particular issue. Are we stuck in this, um, uh, in this uh, scenario where we don't know if it's one or the other or which direction to move forward in? Do you see the Abraham Accords really, uh, progressing to a point where eventually because of the relationship that israel has with all the uh, other arab nations eventually it'll spill over into their own relations with palestine
0: well everything you've said uh, uh, plays a role but it's important to note again that the Abraham accords uh, actually created a paradigm shift within this uh, framework of what comes first the chicken or the egg uh, and uh, there was a realization and I think now, as relationships between Israel and other Arab countries continue to evolve in some ways, there is a real, there's a growing realization that uh, some things need to continue to move and some issues need to be addressed, uh, irrespective of the Palestinian issue. But then comes another interesting nuance when you hear, uh, when you speak of your uh, uh, colleagues, when I speak to the Emiratis or the Bahrainis and they tell you, look near, um, you are our cousin. We are the sons of Abraham, but the Palestinians are our brothers and we cannot abandon them. But what we want to do with this agreement with you is to perhaps show that there is a, a possibility to move forward. And then perhaps we can pull the Palestinian with us. So far, the Palestinians were stuck on uh, politics of uh, rejectionism. That did not help mm-hmm. uh, to, to bring about progress.
1: Um Tell me very quickly, uh, you mentioned before that you all have at least one similar uh, area of interest, which is uh, specifically in defense, and that uh, there is one element that ties all of you together, which is Iran. Um, We're seeing everyone, of course, the developments that are happening now in Iran. I think the entire world, if it wasn't aware of what was happening, they are more so now than ever before. How is the situation evolving over there? And, uh, you know, what is Israel's role or uh, a potential role in this?
0: Well, this is actually a very interesting um, development. Iran is certainly a threat. Uh, But I think if you're looking, if you're zooming out, the real threat is radicalization. And radicalization comes from from two sides, from the Sunni side, uh, which is the the Muslim brothers, the... uh, People who are going to you know all the way to the Islamic State, and from uh, from the Shia side, which is Iran. Now, of course, Iran has been a threat to the Gulf, to the Emiratis, to the Saudis. That, that certainly connected to the situation in Yemen, and both the the Saudis <coughs> and the Emiratis were um, were attacked by Iran or by their uh, proxies. But interesting, <coughs> sorry, interestingly enough. The Abraham Accords have actually, in a roundabout way, have helped the Emiratis um, get back to a better relationship with Iran. And realizing that after they moved all the way to Israel, now they can continue to balance out and making sure that they're able to maintain good relationship with all the partners in the region. And um, that has been interesting, you know, for the Israeli perspective. It's been to some degree uh, disappointing um, because we're, uh, for us, Iran is an existential threat. Mm-hmm. But uh, Iran holds over six thousand uh, companies uh, in uh, just Dubai alone. Um, there are significant economic relations, and they need to keep this partnership going. So for them, you know, Iran is a threat. On the other hand, but you need to keep your your threat at bay uh, sometimes because you know f- through uh, a degree of uh, engagement as well so the abraham accords on the one hand yes iran has been a part of this it's been one of the factors i don't think it was the leading factor that have led to the alliance uh, but because of the abraham accords actually the, the ramifications of it actually enabled the uae afterwards to move closer to uh, to iran you know renew diplomatic uh, relationship with them uh, as a part of uh, you know trying to balance the uh, Uh, geopolitics uh, in the gulf and in the region
1: Mm -hmm. do you think there is ever a day when we could potentially see relations with more uh countries particularly in the gulf uh, countries like oman or qatar or even saudi arabia
0: i believe so and and i would also say that it's important to note what had happened in the past 20 years because if you zoom out uh, relationship actually existed to, to a degree with all of these countries. We've had official visits and unofficial visits and meetings with all of these countries. As we speak, this now the World Cup. Israelis are uh, um, in Qatar and they're live broadcasts, um, and they're able to engage. But Qatar has been our partner in, in uh, the engagement with uh, Gaza now for a number of years, and Israelis have been invited to various uh, gatherings and conferences. Uh, in Qatar uh, for, for, for quite some time. And the same applies to Saudi. We've had reports on meetings, including of the prime minister. Um, and and so relationships actually uh, exist and probably will continue to exist. Whether an additional country, when an additional country will join uh, a more significant move of normalization, peace agreement, or the Abraham Accords has to do with other circumstances. For the Saudis, they they may want to see additional progress on the uh, Palestinian file. <laughs> For the Omanis, they need sorry they need to balance their uh, relationships also in the Gulf with Iran, um, who was uh, again a neighbor um, and, and in many ways uh, an, an ally to a degree as well. So. This very broad puzzle and balancing act uh, uh, will continue to uh, exist. Potential progress with the Palestinian file certainly can uh, help, Uh, just like uh, additional initiatives, just uh, what the Americans have done with the Abraham Accords. Some of it is more ripe than it was. Relationship exists. There were over 500 Israeli companies working in the Gulf before the Abraham Accords even existed. Israeli companies uh, and Israeli um, trade exists today in all of the countries that you've mentioned. Very qu- quietly under the radar, not with an Israeli flag, but it exists. And that also, for me, it means that the this train is sort of moving one way, mainly because the countries themselves understand that if we were trying to find a way to a better Middle East, uh, to, a future, to the future of the Middle East, we cannot... Hold ourselves back. And if we have to jointly uh, uh, fight radicalization, um, we need to find a way to create this win win formula. And we cannot wait uh, for uh, the Palestinians to decide that they wish to engage. Uh, certainly, because in the last few years, what we've seen is that uh, they're simply not willing to do that.
1: Mm-hmm you mentioned before that it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with democracy, but more so on fundamental rights. And, you know, for us in the West, when we're seeing things developing in the, in the middle East or in the region, you know, for us that have been so used to living this sort of reality where of course nothing is perfect, but you know, when we, when we're used to these fundamental rights being such a a huge tenet of our, um, of our daily lives, uh, And we're seeing the developments in the Middle East. The question that often comes up is how strong does this religious extremism um, measure up to the point where they can sometimes be blinded by the fundamental rights that we tend to enjoy over here?
0: Look, the question of religious extremism is uh, perhaps the most central question that stands in the core of much of what we speak about. Uh, If there is a motivation, uh, the core motivation for the Abraham Accords, I would say this is also the core motivation. Um, The Islamists and the radicals uh, had a few things that were sanctified to them. One of them is the struggle in Israel. Uh, This is one of the reasons why those who advocated uh, for a different path and for a path uh, of peace uh, were doing it partially to, to actually take a little bit of the carpet. Uh, upon which these radicals stand, it says, "Look, we can engage with Israel in a different way. We can actually have a different relationship. with We don't have to sanctify the struggle. It's not easy to maintain uh, stability in an environment uh, such as such, such as the one you have in the Gulf, mm-hmm. very prosperous uh, uh, area. Um, the countries would proud themselves when they say that there are over people from over two hundred nations." Every religion and nation really from the face of the planet uh, and uh, the, the fundamental rights, they would argue, are maintained. People can practice their religion, people um, can have their rights. Uh, but in order to maintain that system, uh, they feel that they need to uh, uh, create a system that will uh, keep it safe. Uh, public order is a value. Um, if, uh, you know, when you go to these discussions, they would tell you things like, you know, we have a different system and, and uh, for for you in the west uh, freedom of expression is very important <laughs> for us public order is very important uh, for you uh, you know you can have freedom of uh, expression and freedom of speech uh, and you will see demonstrations and, and even in the time of corona when people can get affected you still you uh, enshrine these rights and even when things go out of hand, uh, you your security cannot really handle it. And they were speaking about cases like George Floyd. And then afterwards, your own people go into the parliament, um, into Congress uh, and uh, and try to take it down. And, you know, for us, when we're looking at this, we say, look, uh, we have other things that are important. Our public space, our public safety, the public order is also a value. So we put more emphasis on some of this. And if there, there, there is a way to protest, there is a way to uh, express criticism we just don't want to do it in the same way that you do because that's the only way to create stability Um, and they've created one of the most stable areas uh in the middle east and today as we're looking into in the world i think there's actually a degree of stability that is higher than many other places and i think heads down at least for that i'm not sure if i will personally adopt that uh political system, uh, I don't think it fits the Israeli uh, mentality or the, uh, let's say, the U.S. mentality, uh, but it's actually interesting to examine it through their lenses and as it is.
1: When we're looking at... And I don't want to take up too much of your time, but just uh, as uh, as a vision in the future, when we're looking at, for example, countries that have also had similar struggles and differences and disparities, whether they be economic, social, historic, uh, religious, uh, and they managed to form a union. I'm talking about the European Union over here, which is a which is a huge uh, federation of independent states that also had their own share of differences and struggles throughout history, and they still managed to uh, get their stuff in order and to create this uh, incredible alliance. Of course, it's not perfect, and we're seeing it recently uh, uh, on a political and even on a social level. But is there this dream, this vision of creating this Arab Union that would be uh, maybe not based on on the European Union, but similar? Uh, but definitely take some similar aspects of it uh, in order to advance forward
0: look uh, there are uh, organs that attempted to do that in the arab world and in the muslim world there is the muslim uh, uh, the, the the alliance of muslim countries and there's the arab league um the organization of islamic countries 57 states and the arab league uh, with just the Arab countries, the twenty-two of those, um. But I think the Gulf as a region, um, now sees itself in many ways at the lead. Uh, where countries, uh, when 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 we're looking at history, in Arab history, where was the Arab-led world led from? Of course, Islam started in Saudi Arabia, um, but the real big dynasties. Uh, we're in Baghdad, we're in Beirut, we're in Cairo, we're in Damascus. Uh, Damascus is a part of a country that broadly no longer exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was bombed and distilled uh, into into rubbles, uh, and now is controlled really by non-Arabs for the most part, either the Iranians or the Russians. Beirut, uh, as we know, two hours of electricity a day, uh, a debt of 100 billion of the central bank, with uh, not future in sight, Iraq, uh, Baghdad uh, again bombed and 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 divided, um, and Cairo uh, is starving for bread, and then the Gulf uh, remained as the most uh, resilient uh, arena in the Arab world, and they realized that they need to take the lead. This is why you hear initiatives such as you hear of initiatives such as the Arab Peace Initiatives. This is why initiatives such as the Abraham reports coming from there. This is why you're seeing a vision for the Middle East. They understand something very simple, and they've seen it uh, as they have watched the events of the Arab Spring. If something is not going to fundamentally change in the region, what they've seen in Lebanon, in Damascus, uh, in Baghdad, and in Cairo will go closer to them. Um, they've seen it in Yemen. Uh, they've seen The events in iran they are now following also the demonstrations there and they realize that if they're not going to do something different these forces will come closer to them Mm -hmm. so they are trying to do something different and they're trying to change uh, the future of the middle east
1: Nir, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, I want to thank you again for uh, this wealth of knowledge that you've uh, shared with our viewers and our listeners. On a final note, is there anything that you're working on of interest that you'd like to share uh, with our viewers or listeners? Or is there any website or any forum that you'd like to point their attention to for further information or more knowledge?
0: Um. I am um, leading the uh, program on regional cooperation at the uh, Tel Aviv, at the University of Tel Aviv. We are uh, running a number of programs uh, and we create uh, a monthly discussion series called Chihwar Dialogue. Um, these are uh, uh, events that are semi-open by invitation only uh, for those who would like to be uh, involved. There's a number of other programs, uh, the Gulf Israel uh, uh, Policy Forum, the Workshop on Israel in the Middle East. All of that is platforms of uh, engagements between us and the region, and I hope that we'll uh, be able to do our little share um, and join many others who are trying to uh, adopt the path of engagement um, with the hope that uh, these dimensions of normalizations and relations will be able to expand. We'll see better understanding, better cooperation, which will bring hopefully to more stability in the Middle East.
1: Thank you so much. And again, for the benefit of our listeners and viewers, um, I want to draw their attention again to uh, strategyinternational.org for any information on this global think tank and for additional resources, uh, editorials, and publications. Visit the website. Follow us on all social media platforms and on YouTube. Nir, thank you so much again. I really appreciate your time. Um, Have a great day.
0: Thank you very much, George. Take care. Thank you for listening to the strategy international podcast produced by pod MTL
1: for strategy international. Feel free to subscribe, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcasts can be found. This podcast is made for strategy international limited Cyprus, all copyrights reserved. This podcast, audio or audiovisual, may not be reproduced, duplicated, copied, sold, resold, visited, or otherwise exploited for any commercial, scientific, educational purpose without the written consent of Strategy International Limited and its legal representative.